Hello and welcome to this episode of the Profiles podcast presented by LL Flooring. I'm Tom Kreitler, and whether you're a builder, an architect, a developer, or a modeler that's looking to improve your business, you're in the right place because in this industry, let's face it, we rarely have the chance to share our knowledge of the business and kind of talk about what works and what doesn't. And to accomplish exactly that, this podcast brings together successful professionals to share their expertise so that we can all learn from each other. Now, let's get to work. My guest today is Cole Burdett. He is the founder of NUMA Capital, a real estate investment firm focusing on multifamily housing. Cole, welcome to the Profiles Podcast. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Hey, Cole, your website says you use conscious capitalism to create value for both your investors and your residents. So why don't we start there? What does that mean? What is conscious capitalism? Yeah, it's great that you that you brought that up. It's a big part of what my business partner and I are all about. You know, we realize that we, we've got investors, and so we're trying to make a return for them, and we've got a fiduciary responsibility. Um, we're also trying to make a couple bucks ourselves, but we're not doing it at the expense of our residents, which oftentimes in the space that I'm in, which is Class C apartments, you've got some guys that um, unfortunately just – look at rent checks and occupancy, and that's about as far as they get. And so we uh, we try to bring the quality of that workforce housing in the Class C apartment space. Uh, we try to lift that. And so whether it's through aesthetics and our renovations or whether it's just through management, we uh, we try to take a conscious approach to how we make money. So you basically look at this from the position of creating value for, for all parties, right? Yourselves, investors, and your residents. And, and, and that is possible. It's encouraging to hear that is possible because you're right. Uh, somebody always gets left out in that equation <laughs> too often. Yeah, they totally do. They totally do. We're doing our best. And I don't know that we've fully come up with the, the correct formula. And sometimes that formula changes deal by deal. But we are, we are very uh, aware that you know, workforce housing is typically um, just a little bit less in, in every regard. And so we're trying to elevate that as best we can. So let's talk about uh, sort of the areas that, that you work in. I know that you're targeting desirable underlying real estate and you're looking for, for properties that have sort of unrecognized potentials. But you have smartly focused your business in, in a very select area. I mean, I think sometimes folks try to spread themselves too thin, but you've identified an opportunity and a target demographic and a target geographic where you do most of your work. So talk to us about how that kind of came together. Yeah, it, you know, it, it didn't come together overnight. So it took a lot of kind of feedback, thought exercise, curiosity voyage, just trying stuff on, see what was going to, what was going to fit and, and also looking at the needs. So I guess from a macro standpoint, being in Texas is uh, just the ability for us to have a a right to work state, and we don't have to we don't have the the unions that some other states have. We've got a little bit it's a little bit easier to do business, if you will, and so that was a big part of it. Uh, getting a little bit more granular, you know, in in Dallas Fort Worth, that's where my business partner and I are, and we feel like we can have the greatest impact in our backyard. So it's not to say that we haven't looked at deals outside of DFW, but again, going back to kind of the mission statement, which is which is really important. It's kind of the lens through which we gauge every opportunity. Uh, we felt like Dallas was was where we could make the biggest impact. And then talking specifically about geography, uh, 
you know, we looked at the economic drivers, and there's a lot going on on specifically the west side of Dallas. Not to say that the other parts of Dallas are void of construction and a lot of exciting things going on, but we target urban infill workforce housing on the west side of Dallas, if you're going to get really specific. And part of that is, um, you know, these economic drivers, you've got the airport, which is expanding. You've got a lot of good industrial growth. Some big players like Amazon are coming in with million plus square foot industrial hubs. And then you've got a lot of housing growth, a lot of housing starts, as well as some fun retail that's kind of popped up along the Bishop Arts area, if, if you're familiar with Dallas. But we, 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 we've always said we try to be adjacent to the gentrifying neighborhoods. And so that's, you know, street by street, it can change, but that's really where we, where we target. We feel like there's good opportunity for us to preserve some of that affordable housing that might get pushed out as the development continues to trend in the west and the southwest direction of Dallas. Well, one of the things that jumped out to me when I read about some of your work is it seemed to me that you were not building apartments. You were building communities. You really were looking at this sort of from cradle to grave in the sense that you wanted to renovate these properties so they would be comfortable, attractive places for these these workforce that is being brought in by all of the economic indicators that you mentioned, you know, Amazon and the, air, and the airport and all the other businesses that are moving into the space, all those folks in these places that to, to live that are just that. They're close, they're convenient, and they're comfortable. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I might I might steal that tagline. That was a, that was a good word that I'm not building apartments. We're building communities. I like that a lot. And I, I think that's really <laughs> what we're, you know, that's what we're about. And uh, all these folks, they've, they've got to have some place to live and I think, you know, we're in a really interesting period of, of history right now with inflation and the capital markets being so volatile, kind of coming out of a really a really great past 10 years, 12 years. And so we'll see what, what the future holds, but we, we know that if we're going to bet on Dallas, we can bet on there still being a, a huge need for affordable housing, arguably more now than in our recent history, right? And so yeah. we think that a lot of these, you know, blue-collar workers and just the, the general workforce of America, you know, housing prices are going up just as much as just as much as anything, if not more, um, depending on what market you're in. And so we're doing our best to to keep prices reasonable. You know, something it's, it's interesting. We we look at uh, AMI, which is the area median income. And we've, we look at, you know, our percentage of rent relative to kind of where those area median income numbers fall. And for right. Dallas, it's, it's reassessed every year, but it's around 85 grand. Um, and so we look at household size and we kind of back into our percentage rent or percentage of, of that um, from a rent standpoint. And the government has used that metric a lot on low-income housing tax credit deals or LURA deals. Um, and so we really try to, to stick kind of in that 70, 60 to 70% AMI range. So that really becomes the formula then for, for everything that you're doing. If you can dial into the, to the average income and you can dial into the AMI, you know what you can expect to charge for rent for your apartments, and that's going to dictate your budget for investment and remodeling, correct? 
Yeah, exactly. And and I would argue that, you know, we we probably over-improve some of our assets just because we, you know, I, I think a big part of our business plan that I haven't touched on yet is that we plan to hold these things for longer than your typical three to five year cycle. Um, so most, most apartment guys that are out there buying multifamily assets typically have about a three to a five year window before a capital event. And typically that capital event on the back end is a disposition, you know, not dissimilar from somebody buying a single family house and renovating it and then, and then flipping out of it, which is a great business model. When you say capital event, are you talking about like to the point where there may be some major improvement necessary, like some year when the roofs all have to be replaced? Yeah. So, well, and I'm really talking about from a capital event standpoint, uh, I'm really talking about kind of a a liquidation event. So, so you either liquidate the asset, you return capital or you refinance or you recapitalize. Although there is that, that large CapEx component that we've got with buying these assets and then renovating them to kind of create that value and instill that community, uh, we plan on holding these assets for a little bit longer period of time than your average investor would, which which allows us to to really renovate these properties to a scale that might be a little bit nicer than what the workforce is traditionally used to. I guess, though, to my point that at some point, you have to have a, a schedule that allows for improvement or replacement of those things that are destined to fail, those things that have a life expectancy, you know, painting every seven years or roofs every 20 years and so on and so forth. So uh, depending on how long you, you sit on those properties, that becomes more of a factor to consider, right? It totally, you're, you're spot on. I mean, the useful life is something that we, we talk about often, you know, and it's it's an ongoing conversation with a bunch of the the MEP systems that we have, the roof, the paint, you know, every down to, you know, even the floor, all of it. And so, you know, a big part of what we've done recently is we've changed our flooring. We used to kind of just install a, a traditional uh, sheet vinyl that was, you know, 65 gauge, something that was decent. But uh, we've we've now gone to the luxury plank vinyl. And uh, we, we LL Flooring has just been a, a great partner for us as we've looked to roll that out kind of across our portfolio. So that's one thing we're doing, you know, is an extension of your question. We're, we're trying to make some changes internally, get a little bit smarter and extend that useful life of what we're installing. And technology such as what LL Flooring does with their luxury vinyl plank products and their hybrid products, the product itself looks so much like wood. You know, it's kind of crazy. I mean, folks literally confuse the two because you have the grain and you have the coloring and it looks beautiful. So you can't even compare longevity uh, and durability to sheet vinyl after that. It becomes sheet vinyl becomes a liability. That's one that you're always going to have to be repairing. I mean, every time you roll a refrigerator out to clean behind it, you put a tear in the floor. That just doesn't happen anymore. So it's a it's a much more stable product. And I guess that's a that's a goal for all of your products to make sure you're putting durable products that are not going to need uh, those type that type of ongoing maintenance that we've seen for so many years uh, in these sorts of properties. Hey, you mentioned economic impact. I'm curious about the impact the pandemic has had on on your real estate market. I know in our market where I live in the Northeast, we had a big movement of folks that were in less populated areas who were getting record offers to sell their homes 
cashing out, so to speak, and then <laughs> faced with the problem of now what? Now where do I go? And huge shortages in apartments. Do you see some of that in your area as well? Yeah, we we were not above that. It was two years of really kind of slugging through a bunch of just a bunch of delinquency. You know, at one point the court stalled evictions, and so we couldn't evict anybody that wasn't paying. You had some rent relief funds that kind of came to town and said, we'll subsidize your rent for you. And so those payments were often lumpy and a couple months after the rent was actually due. And so there were kind of a, a couple varying challenges that we had to deal with. But I would say in general, you know, most of the, the Class C renters stayed put or we we experienced some growth in, you know, our percentage occupancy so we were highly occupied, but it didn't translate to the P&L, uh, you know. Nobody wanted to move and they weren't paying rent, so why, why bother moving, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why bother moving? And so we, our stance has always been just but fair. And so I think that our on-site staff did an awesome job, and I can't sing their praises high enough. But it, we, we, we made it through, and I would say that, it took us probably up until Q2 of this year to really clean that delinquent balance up and then start evicting folks that just, you know, were bad apples. And yeah. so it's taken it's it's taken quite a long time and had a, a big impact. But I do think that we are at least seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, obviously, there were folks that really needed that aid, but there were also a lot of folks that, frankly, just took advantage of the situation and, and left you guys kind of you know, holding the bag on that. So it's good that uh, it's all started to settle out now. I'm talking to Cole Burdett. He is with Numa Capital. He is an investor, uh, a remodeler, a community builder in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So how did you get into this business? Were you a, a builder or a remodeler or a developer before? Were you in the finance industry? Uh, it's kind of a specialized skill. You know, nobody goes to school to uh, to be a developer. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they really don't. And neither did I. Uh, I, I went to, to school and got an econ degree and, you know, I, I knew that I didn't want to get into the public sector. So somehow I ended up in real estate and, uh, just through a couple twists and turns, I, I used to be a broker. I've always been in Dallas. I've always loved Dallas. This is where I grew up. And so I've called it home for a lot of years, but, you know, being in real estate, you, you really, your target is to be on the ownership side. And that's, that was my target as well. And so, through the course of, you know, probably seven to eight years, I spent time, you know, I would call it sweat equity, where I was learning the ropes. And um, I had a lot of really good teachers at various companies that helped me along the way. And about three years ago, I left to start NUMA. Um, and NUMA, you know, the, it's it's the Greek root for breath of life or spirit. And that's really what I'm trying to do here in Dallas is just breathe a little bit of life into these old and tired apartment communities and hopefully in turn into these residents' lives. And so that's how I got started. That was the vision. Ended up meeting my business partner around the time that I started. And we both shared, you know, kind of a similar uh, value proposition and ideology with how we could make Dallas a a better place for a bunch of people. And so that's what we're trying to do. Well, you've tackled some really interesting project. I want to ask you about the, uh, the 1940s uh, Wynwood Gardens building. I understand that that was developed by a guy who built prisons. So I guess we could count on it being pretty structurally sound, but how did it stand up from there? 
Yeah, you know, you might need to fact check me on that, but I, I do think that that's the case. I mean, it's it looks like blocks, you know. I mean, they, the guy that built it in the 40s, he had about six, it sits on about six acres of land, and so it's very low density. Uh, it sits on a great corner, but it's kind of in the southern part of Dallas. And, you know, we bought that in February of this year, and that was really kind of our first asset where we, we took inventory of, back to the useful life conversation, we looked at everything that we were doing in our past renovations and said, I think we can do, you know, X, Y, and Z a whole lot better. And part of that, the, the impetus was the inflationary market that we've been in. You know, you've got some construction risk when you start a project because you're not going to be through that project for, call it anywhere, depending on the scope, six months to a year. And for us, you know, this is a 106-unit property, and so we've got about typically we've got about 18 months of construction um, to fully renovate the property, and, and a lot of that is that we don't kick tenants out; we just organically, as units roll, we we will renovate them uh, as they come available, right. and so it takes us about 18 months to get through a renovation, and uh, we realize that. You know, unfortunately, things aren't getting cheaper. And so how do we go be better stewards of our capital budget, you know, not only from an ROI standpoint, but a longevity standpoint. So which both, you know, they pair together. And so a big part of that was flooring. Honestly, you know, flooring is a big line item for us. We do all LVP luxury vinyl plank throughout the entirety of those units. All units at this property are two bed, one bath, 814 square feet. And so uh, wet areas, dry areas, it's all vinyl, but it looks like wood. You're so right. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful floor that we've been able to use and we've, we've had a great rep that we've worked with. And so another, I guess, benefit of being in the commercial space or the apartment space is that we're able to order in bulk so we know that we've got X amount of units lined up for renovations over the coming months. And so we've got those staged out as best we can. Some tenants will renew, which is great. You know, we're able to provide, you know, housing for them. And if they want to go move somewhere else, we're able to get in there and renovate. And we've got some other projects as well that we're able to lay the same floor or the same blinds, the same appliances. We are able to kind of recognize those economies of scale at this point where, you know, if you're working on a static project, it's just a one-off. Yeah. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to realize the economies of scale, not only from a materials standpoint, but also a labor standpoint as well. And so we we thankfully have kind of gotten to that point where we're able to take a look at, you know, everything that we've got in the pipeline and say we, we can make that decision to order a little bit more in bulk up front and, uh, you know, use it for various projects. Well, it also keeps the wheels of progress moving, right? Because if you get stuck because you don't have a floor, for example, you know, then everything else kind of gets stripped up that uh, that was relying on that. And that's a reason for working with great companies like LL Flooring that have the bandwidth to be able to keep up that supply and get you what you need when you need it. Yeah, and I, and I know that, you know, we're sponsored by LL Flooring today, but I, I truly <laughs> – it's they're not you know y'all I know y'all aren't paying me to to speak LL Flooring's praises but it's been a, a big game changer for us um, and it's a big line item so yeah. we we've, we've been very very appreciative. Have you seen the uh, the hybrid product that they came out with this past year the Stone Hybrid Duravana? 
You know, I've, I've seen the Duravana, we quoted it, and it's, it's an interesting line that we have to walk because even though we want to provide quality housing and quality material, there is a certain threshold that we just, you know, the margins on our renovations are so thin that right. you know, yeah. I, I would love to, to install some Duravana in our units, but at the end of the day, I just don't know that our, our budget can support that because, yeah. you know, when you start installing higher, higher grade flooring, higher grade paint, higher grade appliances, it all adds up, right? It all adds yeah. up. Few, and so a few pennies here, a few pennies there. Yeah. I just mentioned that because when that came out, they sent me some samples and said, go ahead, try to destroy it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so I put it on my workbench and I slammed my, my framing hammer into it a bunch of times. I couldn't dent the stuff. It was amazing. So I was just pretty impressed by that. I ended up using it in a, in a couple of places that I, that I own. Hey, so tell me about this Bachman Lake project. I understand uh, from some of the information you pr- provided our producers that the seller misrepresented the property, and you ended up with a property that had a foundation that was caving in. That sounds to be pretty serious. Yeah, you know, it was um, it was an interesting opportunity for us. It has been a lot of work. We still own that property, and we've worked through um, both management and operational issues as well as just structural issues. But I think it's a classic example of kind of the rags-to-riches story that we're trying to elevate here in Dallas. And so when we bought that property, it was on the rent roll. It had tenants that weren't in there. And, you know, we, we dealt with a bunch of stuff. I mean, I, I could go through a laundry list of of issues, but um, the hair on the deal didn't scare us as much as maybe the next guy because we knew that we were going to be on site every week. We were going to be very hands-on in our management, and we believe in our people too, uh, not only to renovate but to operate. And so it was a it, it was a really fun project for us starting out. You know, our P and L was all over the place and. We had some unforeseen costs, but I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned in in that deal specifically is that you've got to match your debt to your business plan, and so and then add a little bit of fluff. And so we had a, a large capex budget, thankfully, to go and improve that property the way that it should have been improved. And one thing that came up under our ownership that didn't come up in due diligence was a bunch of water leaks. Did you have uh, inspections done before you moved forward on the transition, Cole? We on did. Transactions? Yeah, we had inspections done, and, you know, it just, for whatever reason, didn't really come up. And so um, we chased a bunch of leaks, and we spent probably, you know, 50 to 60 grand fixing leaks. And then we kind of sat down and just said, look, well, I mean, we're going to continue to chase leaks. It's old pipes. You know, this was a 60s build. And so we're going to have to get serious about really investing the money you know are we willing to do that and the the consensus was yes and so we repiped the entire property you know 150 grand you know later we uh we've got really great water savings that because this is you know uh, an older property our water bill has gone down which translates to the tenants because we bill back for water and so it's been neat you know it's it's uh, a little bit easier of a sell when it's an all bills paid property because that that hits your bottom line whatever savings you get. But we made the decision, and you know we've passed along some of those savings to our residents. But ultimately, it's it's a better property because we've repiped the whole thing. And so that was one example of 
you know, kind of a, a little hiccup, but uh, we we powered through it, and that property is now 98% occupied, and it continues to be a great property in our portfolio. There always comes a moment when you have to decide if it's a if if repair or replace what makes the most sense, and if you're going to keep chasing leaks, especially, and you have that opportunity which doesn't come along very often when you can really dig in and replace all those lines. You know, sometimes you just got to jump on it. And and I always think that, you know, when I have decisions like that, I always think that, well, if a decision is that hard to make, it's been made for me. I probably should go for it, you know, <laughs> and my gut's usually right. <laughs> totally. And it, it, it can be a difficult decision and, you know, it can hurt your checkbook a little bit, but it's, it's the right thing to do. We, we try to operate, under the what's the right thing to do in this situation let's go do the right thing it might it might be tough but you know it's thankfully we're aligned with investors that also share that mentality and so it makes those decisions a little bit easier when the money behind you is saying do it right do it well it'll pay off in the long run Cole Burdett guys building communities not apartments in Dallas Fort Worth hey one more question when you started your business, I always ask folks this, what did you wish you knew? What was the one thing somebody should have told you or warned you about that you may have learned the hard way or found, or maybe it wasn't the hard way. Maybe it was a, a pleasant discovery. You know, Tom, that is a, that's a great question. Um, I guess there would be, there'd be a couple and I'll, I'll try to keep it short because I know we're, we're running low on time, but one thing, when you start your own business, it can be lonely. You know, I mean, I, I realized I had a dream and I was going to do anything to chase it. And I have, and it's worked out. But there are days where if I didn't have a business partner, I'd be pretty lonely. And so, um, you know, it's just something to think about, like the, the quality of life that gets brought along with your dream, not just from a monetary standpoint, but from a, a relational standpoint as well. And so, um, that was, that was a big surprise to me that I'm a, I'm a very social person. And so when I started my business, being in the office by myself was a little bit harder than I thought it would be. And so that was, that was a, an interesting lesson. You know, another, another surprise or lesson that I've learned along the way is that I, you know, if you're not willing to humble yourself to, you know, you don't know everything and I'm still learning and it's, it's fun for me because I enjoy it. But if you want to get into your own business and start, you know, closing deals and renovating deals, there there's things that you're inevitably going to learn along the way. So you might as well get comfortable with the fact that you just don't know it all. Or, or get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? <laughs> yeah, get, yeah, exactly. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's right. That's right. And then, you know, the, the third thing is, you know, it's funny, regardless of what your title is, I mean, oftentimes in life, you're just a problem solver. Right. And I have I have realized that it's not any different in apartments. You know, there's continually there's problems and whether it's people related or whether it's property related, you know, finance related, it's it can be it can be overwhelming at times to deal with all the problems. But if you take a deep breath and sit back and just process them individually, you know, it's, I've learned to just take a deep breath, I think, you know, because there on any given project, there'll be a number of problems that are just impossible to foresee. And so all you can do is try your best to handle them as they come in and do the right thing. And, uh, 
there's not really a school or a program that'll teach you how to go and do all these you know, fix all these varying problems. And so I think the encouragement that I would have for someone who's looking to either get into what I'm doing or to get into, you know, the, the, single, the single family side is, you know, there's, there's never a perfect time. There's never a perfect amount of knowledge that you're going to have to go do it correctly. But if you've got the gumption and, you know, the, the work ethic to go problem solve, I think that you can do pretty well. Cole Burdett, founder of Numa Capital, breathing new life into the Dallas-Fort Worth housing market, creating conscious capitalism and building communities, not apartments. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode of the Profiles podcast. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate you having me on.